From Baltimore, Maryland, this is The Stoop Sessions, a One Hope podcast. Join us for conversations about ministry on The Stoop. Learn more about our work at www.onehope.gives. Welcome back to The Stoop Sessions. Today, we will continue our talk with addiction, and we'll be looking at the church's role in addiction. Now, I want to start off with a quote. I like to bring quotes to this podcast. And it says this, God's plan of redemption applies to all people of all backgrounds. It is a sin if we neglect a group of people because they make you feel uncomfortable. What sticks out to me in that quote is they, uh, they make you feel uncomfortable. Oh, you never struggle with people feeling uncomfortable and you treating them differently because of your uncomfortability, do you, Joel? Um, no. I hope you heard the sarcastic tone there. I think everybody struggles <laughs> well, I'm with that. coming at your you face, so I know that's sarcasm. Okay, yeah, did you see? You can't see my face, but I was trying to get it in my inflections. But really, yeah, let's talk about that part. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, the reality is that when we're talking about the church's role with addiction, uh, it is going to bring a, a, an element of uncomfortability into the church. And, uh, you know, just a question. I wonder if some churches are just not open to those who are addicted to substances. Joe, would you say us at the garden, are we uncomfortable when it comes to that kind of stuff? Am I uncomfortable? Yeah. No. Our church as a whole. <laughs> how do you think we... As a whole? I don't believe so. I think our church is extremely, extremely accepting. But I think some visitors might be uncomfortable. Yeah. To be yeah. real with you. You walk in and you think, what did I just walk into? Yeah. Uh, and I think it, it's... I love that Eric said, you know, our church as a whole because... It is not just the pastor's passion or the sure. elder's passion um, for those who are um, struggling with addiction or giving into it. It's it's the whole church's um, uh, job, I think, to to look at ourselves as whole participants and helping someone towards towards redemption that way. So yeah, at our church, I feel like we've had a unique blessing of having quite a few folks uh, who are not just simply using substances, but they're really at the their wits end of using substances. You know, I mean, you've got all kinds of addicts, right? But uh, we've had the blessing of having people who literally are living on the streets. Every dollar they get goes to their addiction. And they come in on Sundays, and I have enjoyed mm-hmm. watching uh, somebody come in on Sunday who's a regular. Uh, it's clear that he hasn't taken a bath in a month. He's regularly regularly using, but he's coming to hear the gospel. He's He, he knows that our church is a safe place for him. And then we have, like, this uh, nice little visitor. And, and I just love it when, when this just man sits down right happen. next to her, just to see what her face, Yeah, and, and, and I think at that moment, you know, what do they call it? Like the spectator, you know, just kind of looking around and everyone's very normal. Like, hey, can I get you a coffee? You know, what, what, yeah. thanks for coming here. And I think the, the overall just of the members have set a really good tone. So you're kind of watching it all take place. And then you watch a member um, and you see in that interchange there, oh, someone who's made in the image of God acknowledging somebody else who's made in the image of God. But there is that there is that moment of wincing of awkwardness. And I think that that, that uncomfortability is good mm-hmm. for us to, to mm-hmm. sit there and, and think, s- what is that? And what sometimes that? people don't come back. You know, sometimes it's not just a moment of awkwardness, but sometimes they, uh, that person didn't come back. And I don't know if that's the reason, but I have told folks who are looking yeah. to pastor and plant in the inner city that uh, you've got to be willing to lose some, you know, clean cut middle class folks 
if you're going to actually reach some of the contacts around you. You might need to say yeah. that again, Joel. That was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What was good about it? You, you forgot what you said, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, tell me what, like yeah. a true pastor you, pulling out. Let me see tell if me I, what was good about it. You said you have to be willing to lose some good members. Was that it? Sir? Clean cut. Clean, clean, clean cut. cut. We've got to remember that we, we, we're here for the hurting, the broken, the downcast, you know, and uh, it's so easy, I think, in any church setting to uh, all of a sudden find yourself structured toward incoming Christians that are middle class, that have it together, that read John Piper. Or look like they have a small it group. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you can easily structure your church around them and for them as opposed to um, structuring your church for those uh, who are coming in off the streets. That's true. I'm always encouraged when we have addicts at our service um, or at like the homeless. Uh, you know, I think it's just a... A reminder that God actually, like, He saves all yeah. kinds of people. It's not just people that look like me. You know what I mean? It's not just people that live in a certain zip code, but, like, His grace really reaches to everybody. It's a beautiful thing. I could hear somebody coming at me and saying, well, Joel, church is for Christians, right? For sure. And so it should be structured for Christians. And I say, I mean, we, we, would we agree with that at yeah. the stoop? Yeah, I would oh, agree yeah. with that. Is church for Christians? Yeah. Yes. But so if we think and... about then structuring our church for those who are active users on the streets, then how are we not communicating something wrong? Like how are we how do we how do we talk about that but also maintain this reality that church is for Christians? It's the gospel that's preached, I think, primarily. Sure. So from the call to worship to walking through the confession of sins to the assurance of salvation, they are watching um and possibly being called to, you know, some of the addicts have been straying from their first love. They have known the Lord and they've walked away. And so I think preaching the gospel and everything that we do yeah. and upholding that and how we treat people yeah. and saying, oh, no, we're not watering down the truth. You yeah. need to know that God created the world. We messed it up. Christ has been sent for our redemption. You need to respond and trust him. So I don't think that's ever, that cadence has ever changed at the garden. Uh, I just think we, um, there's not a requiring of what the outside appearance and expectation. Mm -hmm. I think that's what that we're saying. But I like that little gospel outline you just laid out. I was just trying. I was listening. Now, what does that mean for membership? So let's say if uh, an addict is, you know, is is serious about um, church membership, they want to become a member. Mm -hmm. We would, we would um, pause during that process of membership, mm -hmm. right? We, we would want our members to be clean. And when we know? say an addict, we're talking about something that's like regularly using. Regularly using, right? Giving it's a, a daily thing, the yep, giving themselves over. Um, so we would, I don't think it would be wise for us to to bring a member in at that point, right? Yeah. We want our members to be full of the spirit, not under influence of, of drugs. Yeah. So yeah, we would uh, pause. Yeah, and I, I think of a, a time where, you know, you and I, Eric, were sitting around an elder's table and uh, having a meeting about a certain person in our church or who was coming to our church, uh, the, you know, our public gatherings, um, yet not a member. And a, a lot of that, isn't that what we're kind of talking about? Like our public gatherings are open yeah. to everybody, right? Sure. But we also understand the church to be our membership, like those who are in covenant community with one another. And somebody who was coming regularly on the streets using everyday Clearly, this, this substance was a God in their life, 
they um, wanted to be baptized. Do you remember that conversation? I remember that. Yeah. And what did we decide? We held, we paused on on that part Why? of membership, just because, like I said at the beginning, um, again, you know, we want we, we like we want our members to to show fruit right before we put the stamp on them that hey, they are part of God's body, that they are part of the church, mm-hmm. and if someone is practicing sin, if they're you know um, struggling with drugs, they're giving themselves over to it. It's no way that we could put that stamp of God's membership on them, sure. on their life. Like, certainly God could convert anybody at any stage. At any time. Yeah, we believe but, that. Yeah. But we need to see fruit. Yeah. yeah. Where it can seem unloving to say, oh, wait, so you're going to hold back on something like that. It's actually for uh, both that individual's benefit yeah. and for my own. Exactly. Um, and for our own as, as members, yeah. as we're saying, this is what we're held to. This is, this, is, this is just not something that you do because you're wrapped up into the emotion, but the very God has saved you and his spirit lives. And, and now you're willing to give up that little God for the true God. And so I think it's to, to benefit of saying that's the gift of time that says, yeah, let's put a pause on this and let's see um, if your fruits line up with what you say. Yeah. Mm. And so it's loving for them. I believe so, yeah. To withhold baptism and membership. I think so. And again, there's so many situations. And so, again, we're not saying, you know, that we were holding Christ from anyone. No, it's saying if you believe in Christ, then then let's walk walk that out. And when we make make decisions as a church, right, it's not just for that individual. We have to take into account the whole body. Sure. So A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Exactly. We just learned that in Bible study this past (laughs) Wednesday. Galatians chapter 5. Right. That's right. Oh, Galatians 5. Yeah, so we... So to withhold then membership, to withhold baptism, which, by the way, we, we understand membership and baptism to be pretty synonymous. Like, we wouldn't baptize somebody and not bring them into membership, right? Right. Um, and I, yeah? Yeah, I was thinking. I'm a slower processor, yeah. Joel. So I was just making sure I Well, I mean, sure I, 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 because I, I feel like there could be some people who would say, um, you know, here's this person in active use. They've made some kind of verbal profession of faith. And then they'll say something like, the first act of obedience was baptism. We're not going to bring them into membership, but let's go ahead and baptize them because they made a verbal profession of faith and withhold membership still. I think that that hinders them because then there is this expectation of living up to this, all of these rules when I think and believe if the Holy Spirit has changed someone's heart, we will start to see that by fruit. And that will be confidence for them to say, wow, I really am trying to choose God Versus choose this God, this mini G God um, of addiction. And so in our experience and history, it has been more hindering to say, let me walk you through all of the physical um, uh, symbolices of, of salvation without letting the spirit do its work and for us to see fruit. And mm-hmm. so I, I think it's for their benefit for us to say, oh, wait, wait, let's hold on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think baptism is death to self. It's death to the old life. It's, it's a sign of what's happened in your heart already. Uh, it's, a, it's resurrection to new life. That's right. And it's a connection with the people of God. So how can we disconnect that then from the actual connection and recognition that they are one of us, a member, whatever you want to call it, partner, I don't care, but they're one of us yeah. in, you know, under the church discipline. Yeah. And we're talking about addiction too. You know, what we're calling the addict for lack of a better like phrase or word, but we're saying, are you ready to really quit serving this master? Mm-hmm. And so um, that that allegiance change 
there's got to be that desperateness there. And yeah. I think that desperateness happens with, with, with carrying out with fruit and at whatever cost or what, whatever it takes. And I think that's helpful too. When people are walking with individuals with addiction, that's the question we're always asking. Do you want to quit this? Yeah. Not just yeah. because you're going to be a better, uh, shinier person, but this master will kill you. It's a horrible master yeah, and you will be its slave whether or not you, you're covered up in fake garments of righteousness you know, or not. So I think us saying, do you really want to quit this for the Lord yeah. and give your whole self holistically, all of you, to the Lord is, is that. So it's the beginning question. I think baptism just becomes that, yeah. that, that display at the end of that. Yeah. And ba- baptism is a, a public declaration. Right? You're letting the world know that, mm-hmm. hey, I'm, I'm serving Jesus now. I'm on Team Jesus, like I belong to right. him. So to say that you belong to Christ, but yet you're serving this other master, it just, you know, it's a breakdown there. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, just, it's inconsistent. Yeah. So what happens when, say, someone does become a member, they show fruit, um, they are uh, baptized if they weren't already, and something happens um, where they are voluntarily going back to their sin of addiction? Uh, what happens? What does church discipline look like? So as a church, we discipline for unrepentant sin. So we, we never, if we discipline for sin, just period, we would have no members. We wouldn't have a church. Would you agree, Joe? I would agree. <laughs> and I also would be out. So out. We, we always discipline for unrepentant sin. Um, now, I think the issue is, if someone is struggling, if a member is struggling with addiction, I guess the question arises, or oh man, is are they repentant? You know, they keep falling back into it. So that that's a tough question to navigate. What would you say about that, Joe? Yeah, I mean, I think we, we experience it pretty regularly as a church yeah. where we have a member who has a past with addiction. They've they we've brought them in as a church. Um, they have been sober. And then they relapse, and we keep it moving with them. You know, we, we look for repentance. Um, you know, relapse doesn't mean that we kick them out, right? That's right. Uh, and exclude them. Um, but are they repentant? You know, and that's yeah. we're talking about fruit of repentance here. Exactly. Is, are they, do they want to change? Is there humility there? Is there honesty there? You know, are they hiding their sin, or are they confessing their sin? Big difference, right? Big difference. And then I think if there's a pattern of hiding their sin and they continue to use and it's clear that they're beginning to choose their sin over Jesus, well then of course we're going to move into a process of church discipline with them. That's probably going to be a couple months. You know, we're not going to just that Sunday necessarily bring it before the church. Yeah, and the goal is always restoration like we say. It it is, you know, we're talking specifically about addiction and substance abuse here, but isn't that with any sin? The goal is always you are straying from your first love. We will do everything yeah. to remind you of who Jesus is. You've got to want it. The Lord will grant these things if you so cry out for it and confess, right? right? Bless through those who he doesn't hold iniquity against us. But, I mean, it, it is for your good, for restoration's sake. And we've seen we've seen stories of restoration, and that's what we always, always fight for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really is for their good. I mean, on both ends, withholding membership, Bringing then finally bringing somebody into membership, and then also if there's excommunication, it's all for their good. Like this isn't just simply for the good of the church, but it is for yeah. the good of the church as well. You know, it's we we want to uh, pursue the purity of the church. Yeah. However, it's also for the sinner's good. 
Um, I think of 1 Corinthians 5, where you've got this dude who's having sexual relations with the mother-in-law, and Paul says, turn him over to Satan, which sounds harsh. Yeah. But then he goes on to say, um, so that his soul might be saved. That's right. On that final day. Meaning, uh, it is for the sinner's good that we uh, turn them over to their sin. You know, if you want to pursue this God, if you want to pursue Satan, if you want to pursue him as your father, um, then let him, let Satan have them so that they might realize how empty that is, yeah. hit rock bottom yeah. and come crawling back. Come and right back. Come right back. And maybe they've been excommunicated. This has happened before. And, and, and we're, we're back at square one. Are we a welcoming church to the, to the, to the hurting, to the broken? Can they come crawling back into our doors? And a hundred times over, we say yes. Yeah. So, Joe, you made me think of, you know, what can members, how, how our hearts need to be um, open. Because, I mean, it can be discouraging. Uh, yeah. It can be easy to say open arms every time. But with addiction comes deceitfulness and you know, lying, there's a, a breach of trust, uh, you know, safety sometimes. And so, you know, what does it look like to be members that are like, all right, yeah, yeah our open arms are open and they really are open. Like, right. what is the, what's the mindset? I feel like we, we, we got to have an honest conversation of like, all right, how do we check ourselves and get ourselves right to be able to say like, yeah, 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 come, come on, um, come on back. Well, what are some of the fears that would keep us from that? Grief, you know, wondering, just the grief of wondering where people are, yeah. if they're safe, uh, thinking yeah. about all the worst things, all the bad things that could happen and knowing that they actually could happen. I think um, just the, the pain, pain yeah. that addiction causes, yeah. it steals a lot of joy yeah. and memories and things that you would normally enjoy. I think addiction contaminates all that. Yeah. The fear of the unknown. Right. Like, you, um, you know, just like Stephanie said, just wondering, like, where this person is. Right. If, if they're getting high, like, well, let's be the the vial that, you know, that causes their overdose. Yeah. Like, just always, just not knowing. You know? And I feel like there's fears on both, or with every stage, with the person who's actively using, or recently has been actively using, yeah. you could have just the fear of them stealing stuff. You yeah. know, like, I've had hundreds of dollars stolen out of my house. We've had a microwave stolen. You know, we've had <laughs> a lot of stuff stolen um, because of uh, our approach. Yeah. And, you know, that, 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 that could be a fear, right? Like, yeah. I don't want somebody to just steal my stuff uh, for drugs. And then also for the person who's been sober. You know, th there's, there's a sense in which, like, if you get hit in the face enough and you get bruised, you just, every little thing that looks like a fist, you're just yeah. going to be flinching, right? Because you don't want to yeah. get hit again. And I feel like for the person who knows what it's like to work with those that are suffering from addiction, yeah. and you've been through us. Uh, uh, with them, you've you've seen them sober. You've seen them relapse. You've seen them sober. You've seen them re. There, there, there is a discouragement that comes with that, and a fear yeah. of like I don't want, I don't have it in me to do this again. Yep. You know, I don't know how to handle the discouragement, the setback of relapse. Yeah, especially if you've uh, encountered certain situations of addiction with the savior complex. I think I think everybody goes in with savior complex at the yeah. first. So what couple do you mean times. by savior complex? You know, I am going to be. You know, no one else has ever been able to help, but I am going to be the one to be it that's actually able to help. I it, mm. it, it all is, the other programs fail. Yeah, them. we now are the, the garden church. They've yeah. never they've never, never seen been, people who love Jesus and right. are cool to hang out with. Like all these all these little lists, or like 
no, I, I've had experience with addiction. I've seen um, recovery. I've been addicted myself. Yeah. I know how I can help this person. Like this, God has sent me, you know, to help this person. And, and God humbly mm-hmm. shows you he is the only savior. And I think one of those things where you, you, you might be flinching is when you've gone into situations giving it all that you have. Yeah. And maybe not in God's strength and you're burned out and you're tired and you're like, I'm not doing this again. I'm not doing this with the same person. And if someone walks in that reminds me of this person, it's a trigger for me and I'm not helping you either. And so the yeah. church can just, the elders can handle that yeah. versus the church itself. So I think it's <laughs> that the true story. That's, that's, that's what I've encountered. How, how do you find that savior complex? How do you guys think we get over like these discouragements and, and fears? You know, Eric, you actually said something to me earlier talking about a team approach. And how that helps from burnout. I'm kicking it right back to you, brother. I did say that. And Tell us what <laughs> you, you know, said. Sometimes I, I don't uh, really you know, listen to myself, but I was right that time. I was right. Ministering to the needs of the addict can be very messy. And yeah. so I think it is wise to, to take a team approach. One person focusing on housing. Uh, one person focusing on... Um, maybe that this person handling this person's finances. You know, we can just go, you know, on and on down the line. And to have the team approach, it really kind of puts the burden on. It divides the burden up. Like every, you know, someone is working on different things. Not one person is not responsible for every part of you know That's trying good. to get yeah. this addict's life turned around. That is good. And can I say something just to qualify this too? I think in what we've learned from experience is that what we're talking about here is with the person who's uh, a part of the church, they've given evidence, fruit of the spirit, or, exactly. or, or at least moving in that direction, yeah. right? There's a clear desire. Um, I, th- I do think there is a possibility of just spinning wheels with somebody that's not ready. You know, and I, I yeah. think churches could probably find themselves giving a lot of resources and a lot of time to somebody who really is just not ready. Yeah. Team approach one looks like being a community that rivals the desire for the fake community that I think is on the streets uh, with addiction, mm-hmm. with with drugs, with the drug dealers. So I think it's saying we want to make it really hard for you to find community outside of outside of us in terms of us showing that we love you, making it a place where you can confess your sin. Because that's something we got to talk about too. You know, we want people to walk in honesty. But if we haven't, you know, set uh, the tone for realizing one. You know, our sin sucks too, so everybody can sin and not sure. approaching someone with a heart of self-righteousness. You know, I've had to yeah. check myself saying, this could be you in, in seconds, uh, maybe practically minutes. Uh, and so really checking ourselves. But one, yeah, setting up um, just the heart of making sure people can confess and then be honest and then wrapping um, that person around a hardcore community that says we love you no matter what. I read Even a, through consequences. I read a study of addicts coming back from Vietnam, back during the Vietnam War, and they used heroin in Vietnam. And there was a study down that showed that when they came back to the States, of course, not all of them, but some of them stopped using heroin. And what the study concluded was that a change of environment sometimes alone is, is what can help the addict. And, and I think that's what one thing you're talking about, Stephanie, is a change of environment. You know, for some, it might be like literally they lived some, somewhere else, another living here. Yeah. Um, 
For others, we can't, you know, they're from here. They've been using here. We can't necessarily send them, send every, everybody elsewhere, you know. Yeah. However, the church in and of itself, the countercultural community can provide a change of environment for them. And we've seen that where uh, a guy in our church ended up living with people from our church in their home. Uh, I think he probably lived with four different families prior to uh, being, being stable and on his own. And that in and of itself was a change of environment from where he was, the people he was hanging out with. One of our strategies is intentional living, as we've already talked about on this podcast. And uh, we want to do that also for those who are seeking to, to stay sober, uh, open up a room, maybe have a, a cheap rent that turns into regular rent over a number of months. Um, but also, we've internally at our church, we use a rental agreement with a lot of our members who have people living with them. And one of the things on there is that they can't use. You know, so these are clean houses. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a way for us to provide some stability for somebody uh, and to have different options so that they can get back on their feet. Yeah. Not only does it uh, provide stability, but just like you said, like that change in environment. So they're leaving this environment that was filled with drugs and now they're in this environment where the expectation is like you have to stay clean. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I was going to say that structure uh, helps frame even consequences and boundaries and, and things moving forward. And so really it's just bringing all things to light. Uh, and that's that's how we really grow and change in the first place. So, You know, as, as we close here, I just want to say that I feel like I uh, am personally kept from heavy discouragement because we're doing this together. You know, this is coming from real uh, a deep place in my heart, Stephanie and Eric. We don't, to, we don't get be, that often, do we? But I'm just trying to savor his face. We, we've been through some discouragements. Warm. We've had some some issues, and you know, to have you guys um, that we that I can personally turn to, and others in the church, not just the two of you, but to where we can just walk through the discouragements together, uh, makes it so much more doable. Yeah, yeah helping us uh, lift our hands like that. Those two dudes that helped Moses up with Exodus. Team I feel like bro. you should lead us out in a song, girl. Mm. Which song? I only have Barney and Coco Melon. Look, that's right what now. I was thinking. We are not you should let talking about Coco Melon on this podcast. Coco Melon, little baby help. bump. Mm-hmm. You should check and see if someone needs help. Thanks for listening to the Stoop Sessions. Be sure to catch us next time. As One Hope exists to build healthy churches in the inner city, check us out and connect at www.onehope.gives. Thank you.